Hey, what's going on good people? This is Gardner Douglas and I am your Oyster Ninja. So uh, we got a pretty good show lined up for you this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed everything for the month of February. I really got a lot out of it. You know, interviewing different uh, black owned businesses and uh, of course learning about Thomas Downing. But yeah, uh, back to this Oyster World. Yeah, this week we're talking to Mr. Don Merritt and, um, you know, his friends call him Mutt. Easy enough, right? Um, so we took a little trip down to uh, Horn Point Hatchery, which is a uh, part of University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science. I can honestly say that that's a first for one, and I was amazed amazed at um the science behind oysters and the hatchery and how precise everything has to be i'm gonna put the site in the the show notes i would suggest if you're in the area you plan a trip to the hatchery i'm actually trying to plan a group uh trip down there so if you're interested, hit me up, OysterNinjaPC at gmail.com, and maybe we can all go down together. All the Oyster Ninjas in one place at one time. That would be really fun. And I'm sure we can also get up with an oyster farm down there, and they can uh, have some oysters for us. But anyway, that's that part. Um I've done a couple of good events uh, these last few weeks and, you know, dusted off my oyster knife. So, uh, not going to hold you up, you know, with my boring shucking life. But uh, enjoy the interview with Mr. Merritt. Very informative. I don't care what nobody else says about him. I like the guy. So, uh, enjoy. My name is Don Merritt. Uh, everybody calls me Mutt. I've been working here at Horn Point Hatchery, Horn Point for UMC since 1973. So I've seen a lot in all those years. Right. Done a lot of things right and even more wrong. <laughs> okay, cool. So what's your job title? My job title is a principal agent, and that is a special category of faculty that the University of Maryland has further extension faculty, which we do outreach and, and research. And um, I interact with private industry uh, and state agencies and federal agencies uh, to try to educate people about what it's going to take to bring healthy oyster populations back to the Chesapeake Bay. Right. And that's been your whole study over the 40 years? I've been working with oysters the whole time. Uh, I started off over at the Chesapeake Biological Lab working with uh, oysters for aquaculture. And when I moved here a couple years later, uh, we were our focus was still largely on aquaculture. But now uh, it's still aquaculture, but aquaculture has expanded into restoration aquaculture, private oyster farming, and aquaculture for support of the public fishery. And we use this facility to do all of those. How has it changed 
there's been a lot of major a lot of major changes over the years. When we first started out, uh, even here, we were producing maybe a million baby oysters a year. A baby oyster is called a spat. Mm-hmm. Maybe a million spat a year. And for the last two years, we've done one point about a billion and three quarters spat. Big so change. we've gotten a lot bigger. <laughs> uh, part of the reason we got bigger is that oyster hatcheries have been uh, have been viewed as accepted by a lot of people and agencies and the oyster crisis in Maryland meant that what we were doing in the past doesn't work anymore. We can't just throw a shell overboard and hope that Mother Nature puts baby oysters on it. So when we bring shells through the hatchery, none of those go overboard at the end of our process until they have the sufficient amount of seed oysters on them or baby oysters on them. Mm -hmm. So we don't take the chance that Mother Nature would look at it and go, I'm not going to set on those. We make sure that, that she sets on these because we control that in the hatchery. So our emphasis has been that how do we take the hatchery production of seed oysters and use that to help bring back healthy oyster populations to the bay. That's only done through the support of the public and government agencies because it's expensive to run a facility like this. Right. And, and if you look at historically what Maryland was with oysters, we were harvesting back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, tens of millions of bushels of oysters a year from our public oyster beds. Last year, I think it was around a quarter of a million bushels. So we've harvested, uh, we've over-harvested the stocks. We've had some disease problems. We've destroyed some of the habitat. And there's a hell of a lot more people living around the shores of Chesapeake Bay now than there was when John Smith sailed up here. Right. So the environment has changed, and our oysters are suffering from that in lots of ways. We have a situation in Maryland where there's not enough adult oysters out there to produce enough baby oysters for us to come back in any reasonable time frame. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing with this hatchery is we're trying to select sites where we can successfully create those healthy oyster populations in the hopes that they are going to start spawning and they will, for every oyster we put out there, there will be other oysters that Mother Nature puts out there because of what we did. Right. So... And it takes a lot, you know, it took us a 100 years or more to destroy the resource that we had. It's not going to come back in a decade or two. It's not going to be cheap, and it's going to take a lot of learning and a lot of getting better, and that's what we try to do here. The mantra I have for my hatchery operation and my crew, and I've got a tremendously good, competent crew, is I want to do it better this year than we did it last year, and I want to do it better next year than we do this year. Right. I always want to be more efficient, more cost-effective, better. Right. Uh, that means you're going to make some mistakes, but hopefully you're going to learn. And we try to listen to our oysters. And I, People laugh at me when I, when I tell them that. But Mother Nature makes laws. She applies those laws unbiasedly across the board. If you do X, you, she's going to do Y in response. Humans make laws, and we want to try to control people's behavior, and we go, no, that's, that's bad. And the other thing I'll tell you about this project, and you asked how it's changed, and how it's changed very dramatically over the past 20 years or so, is there's a, a partnership that has been developed as a result of something called the Maryland Oyster Roundtable that was put together by Maryland DNR in 1992-93. And that created something called the Oyster Recovery Partnership. And the partnership was designed to facilitate and coordinate restoration activities. And this hatchery is a University of Maryland facility, 
but we operate in conjunction with the Oyster Recovery Partnership, Maryland DNR, NOAA, the Corvin Engineers, excuse me, and lots of other smaller community groups. So oysters are starting to be realized by the general public and by a lot of environmentalists as more valuable than just something that somebody can shuck and eat. Right. You know, they're valuable to a healthy bay. And I tell people you can't have a healthy bay without a healthy oyster population. And you can't have a healthy fishery without a healthy oyster population. We're trying to learn the best, most cost-effective ways to put healthy oyster populations back for support of the health of the bay and the health of that industry. So that's what we're trying to do. And it takes a lot of people. And we have lots of fights over who's right and who's wrong, just like, just like everybody, you know. But I think if we, if we have the mantra, it's all about the oyster, then we'll continue to keep making progress. So what kind of people uh, reach out to you for getting your oyster spat? The people that we that, that utilize our facility for oyster spat, uh, the overwhelming amount of what we do is for government, state and federal government contracts uh, to restore large areas like sanctuaries or harvest bars. But we also work very closely with some of the local community groups, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, uh, some of the riverkeeper organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with uh, the school in Baltimore, uh, Living Classrooms Foundation. We've been working with them for 20 years or something. So it, it depends on what we're doing, and we work a lot with some of Maryland's private oyster growers. We provide seed for them. We also provide training for them. Well, we showed you through the, the system in the wrong time of year, but right. you come back here uh, in the summer, we can actually show you how to set oysters or how to spawn oysters or how to grow your own oysters. Uh, what we want to do is to have everybody that's trying to grow oysters be successful. I don't care if that's for the public fishery, the private fishery, or for a sanctuary. If it's not successful, it's not going to be around very long. So we're trying to use this as a training session. I don't know if you know what an ag experiment station is, but ag experiment stations were developed, you know, a century or so ago to apply science to agriculture, mm -hmm. learning how many how many rows should you put, you know, how wide apart should the rows be for corn, how much fertilizer should you put on it per acre, how much lime and what kind of lime. And we are the equivalent of that for oysters, but they've got a, a century's head start on us. So we're trying to play catch up with that. Uh, we're doing okay in a lot of ways, but in some ways it's going to take a lot of time. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do with, with that. Bringing back the bay. Is there a timeline? Well, bringing back the bay. Uh, is I, that a thing? <laughs> or is it just something people say? It's something people say, but the problem with it is, what do you mean by bringing the bay back? Uh, my my uh, vision for the bay being brought back and yours are probably very different, and everybody else is probably very different too. The problem with oyster restoration is, most people just say, oh, we want to put oysters out there because they're a good thing. Well, you need to have some goals for that project. It's a construction project. You're building an oyster reef or you're rebuilding a, a defunct oyster reef. And each site has its own peculiar characteristics. And if you don't take those into consideration, you're likely to fail. Just like you're building a, a building. If you're going to build a building out in the middle of a marsh, you better have some pilings that you're going to drive down or it's going to sink into the marsh. Mm. Uh, if you're going to build it on the side of a mountain, there's other engineering phenomena you need to consider. If you're building an oyster reef, 
there are lots of different bottom conditions and qualities too. And if you fail to take uh, those into consideration, you're going to, you're going to, it's not going to be successful. I tell people that it's a construction project and people think that oysters build reefs. Oysters will build the ecological community that sits atop a reef, but if you put it somewhere where it can't survive, it's not going to build that, that community. So we have to put the base down, the bearing strength, the foundation for that reef. Some places in the bay has a foundation already. Most of those are not available for us to work on. But where you don't have a foundation, you need to create that foundation and then put your oysters on top of it and let them do their wonderful thing, which is create that community, that reef community that is so valuable to the bay. So the no foundation, does that come from dredging? Uh, or is it just a nature thing? Or? There's different parts of the bay, just like different parts of land have... There are sandy soils, muddy soils, clay soils, wetlands, uplands. There's all kinds of stuff. Well, if you looked at the bay, the bottom of the bay, it's the same way. So oysters need to be put on a place where they're not going to sink in the bottom or you're not going to have sediment from the water fall out on top of them and smother them. If they can't grow faster than they sink or are covered over, they're going to smother and die. So you have to put them in a place that, where that's not going to happen. Now, you can take a bottom that was marginal and you can put material down and make it so that it will bear the strength of, of, of the weight of those oysters and you can create a reef. You can do it virtually anywhere. The problem is if you do it where you got six feet of mud, that's a lot of material you've right, got up in there. Right. That's a lot of bucks you're going to have to spend. Yeah. So the real thing is to find the best places to do it and put your get the most bang for your buck in those places. So places like with let's just say the six foot of mud, um, is it any way to naturally for that to build up, or does it happen over time, or like it just takes money? Well, the the six feet of mud happened over time, and the conditions that put that muddy bottom there, unless they've changed, it, it's not it's, gonna... it's not a good candidate. Okay. Now, areas that are hard bottom. To begin with, and there are places where we have a lot of stones, we have oyster shells and stuff there. Mm -hmm. That's where we should be concentrating on. Uh, Mother Nature has told us where she wanted oysters. And if we're not smart enough to listen to her, shame on us. <laughs> right. You know, we can say, I don't want them over here, I want them over there on the other side of the creek. The other side of the creek is muddy and or sand. Sandy's awful too. Right. If you think sand is a stable bottom, have you ever walked it offshore at Ocean City on the beach right. and you stay motionless? What happens to your feet? They sink yeah. in the bottom, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Well, if you're an oyster shell, you're going to sink in the bottom too. So mud's not good. Sand's not good. Something hard substrate is good. And like I said, if we're not smart enough to listen to where Mother Nature wants us to put them, shame on us. Right. So what else uh, makes good living conditions for oysters? I know we talk about the foundation. What else is well, they need, once you have, you put them in a place where they're going to be able to exist on the bottom, then you have to have the right water quality for them. And salinity is important. They don't like real low salinity. Uh, about five parts per thousand or something is about the lower end. About Rock Hall in Maryland. That's the upper, somewhere along Rock Hall or Talchester is the historical upper end of that. And most, most rivers are the same way. If you go to the Potomac, it's just north of the Potomac River, the 301 Bridge. Mm -hmm. That's where the last oyster bars are. Every river uh, in Maryland that has oysters, 
Uh, you can go far enough up that river and the salinity is too low for them to be there. There's a trade-off between salinity. Low salinity has less disease, so the oysters are not going to die from disease as, as fast. Uh, high salinity has more disease, but also oysters reproduce better in high salinity. So you're going to have a greater chance you're going to get a spat fall in higher salinity than you are in low salinity. But there's also a greater chance your oysters are going to die down there. So there's not a perfect place that's, that gives you good spat fall and long survival. And it depends on the year. Are we in a drought period? You know, if we're in a two-year drought, then salt water comes farther up the bay, and your oysters farther up the bay are affected by that heavy salt. If we're in a wet year, then fresh water goes farther down the bay, and the ones that were susceptible to disease now, some of them are not susceptible as much because the salt water is pushed farther down the bay. So it's, it's an estuary, and an estuary by definition is where fresh water from the land runs off and mixes with the salt water from the ocean. And it runs off basically according to the tides and the weather patterns. If you have a lot of rain, you've got a lot of fresh water in the bay. You've got real spring tides, you can see salt water coming up the bay. So it just depends. Right. Okay. Um, and what about the, uh, the algae? O oysters eat algae. They don't eat all algae. Okay. They eat uh, certain species of algae that fall within a certain size range. And these things are microscopic. Right. They're a few microns, you know, maybe 10 or 12 microns or bigger. Uh, and a micron's a thousandth of a millimeter. So these are tiny. You can't see them with your naked eye. Uh, some algae species, they don't eat. They may have, uh, for lack of a better term, they may taste bad to them or they may have some toxic thing to them. Sometimes when you get the wrong algae bloom around an, uh, an oyster, the oyster will actually close up and stop feeding. And sometimes when there's the right algae there, they'll feed like banshees, man. Right. They're just feeding their butts off. Right. Um, so it all depends. And most of the time, most of our algae blooms are in the spring through the fall which is when your oysters are growing the best. They don't grow in the winter. If they were really active in the winter and there's no algae out there, if you're physiologically active and you're hungry and you don't eat, you're going to starve. So they go into a winter dormancy. It's almost like a hibernation. Right about the time our algae populations in the bay disappear for the winter, the oysters go to sleep. And right about the time the algae comes back in the spring, they wake up because there's food there now. Mother Nature is a smart old broad. <laughs> what about, um, I don't know if I should throw this term around, but global warming. Is that, does that affect the oysters? Is that a thing? What do you think? What's your opinion on it? I'd rather keep my opinion on global warming. Boom. That's myself. why I said I don't know if I should throw it out there. Uh, if the bay, the bay is, the, the, the records are that the bay is warming up. Okay. Slowly. Uh, so far, I haven't seen any indication that it's going to cause a disaster with our oysters. I think we have other, have other bigger oyster issues to deal with than global warming. Okay. What it would do if it continues the way I, what little I understand about it, is that we would have warmer summers, which, I mean, our oyster, our oyster species lives all the way from here down through the Gulf and into northern South America. It lives in warmer waters than Chesapeake Bay. Right, so right. our species is not likely to suffer from that warm water. Mm -hmm. Earlier springs may mean that they grow longer, they spawn earlier. Uh, later falls may be the you know, same thing. Uh, I don't know what it's going to do to the food items, the phytoplankton that they eat. Maybe there's some issues with that. 
But I haven't seen anything that alarms me about oysters and global warming. Okay. So what's your earliest uh, connections with oysters? My earliest connections with oysters is uh, my family was were watermen, and I, at an early age, I worked on the water harvesting oysters and crabs and whatever. So I've, uh, I'm a local Eastern shoreman, and watermen's life is in my blood to some degree. Uh, I'm one of those people that I thought I knew about oysters and crabs and fish until I went to school, and that taught me something different. But what really taught me is when I started working in an oyster hatchery and I started letting the oysters tell me what they liked and what they didn't like. And they're a lot smarter than any professor I've ever had. And I've had some really good professors. Uh, but once you learn to open your mind and learn new things, once you, once you get that curiosity back that all kids have, mm -hmm. we as adults tend to lose curiosity. We tend to think we know a lot. And we might know a lot, but we don't know at all. Right. And I really like working in here with the crew that I have. And, again, I've got a wonderful crew. Um, and working with these oysters because we try to let the oysters tell us what's going on. They'll tell you when they're happy. They'll tell you when they're unhappy. They'll tell you when they're really pissed at you. They die. Right. You know, and then it's like, oh, God, what did we do wrong? You know, and, and the challenge as a biologist um, is to figure out what happened. Why did, why did that bad thing occur? And then if you're smart enough to figure out why, what do we do to fix it? And then, then you can have this warm and fuzzy feeling that you did something good for something. Right. Do you remember your uh, first oyster that you ate? Oh, God, no. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing. I'd like the people to understand that oysters are important to you, even if you don't eat them, harvest them, or do anything else. If you want a clean, healthy environment, and the Chesapeake Bay is one of your concerns. We need to have a lot of healthy oyster populations back there. It's going to be a long-term thing. You know, people talk about air quality and sewage treatment plant runoff, and everybody knows that that's bad. Well, oysters can help fix some of that. Oysters are the vacuum cleaners of the bay. They're not going to turn the bay into gin-clear water but they're certainly going to provide a lot of the habitat and a lot of the ecological benefits that used to be there. What can the average person do to help the bay? Let your politicians know that you're concerned about oysters, okay. that that uh, they are not just for somebody to harvest and make money on. They're not just for you to shuck in your restaurant and make your people happy. That's an important part of it. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that if there's no more oysters left. And we are down to about 1% of the historic populations. When are we going to open our eyes? 1% is horrible. If we had, if one, if some town had 1% of the population that it used to have in it now, somebody would have been going crazy. Right. Uh, the stuff that we tried to do uh, in the past, I don't think it worked very well in the past, not most of the time, but it's certainly not working well now. We need to be smart enough to apply sound science to oyster management and oyster rehabilitation. And if we do that, I think, and, and what I'd like to see is our watermen becoming proactive, joining that environmental community to try to become part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Mm -hmm. They're viewed as the problem. And in some cases, I believe that they are part of the problem. 
but they need healthy oyster beds too. And uh, I told them once, I said, you need to go to these environmental groups and get join forces with them. And the response I typically get is, well, they don't like us and we don't have anything in common with them. I said, yes, you do. You can't have a healthy oyster fishery without a healthy oyster population. You can't have a healthy bay without a healthy oyster population. You both want a healthy bay. Agree to disagree on some things, but agree to work together to try to get from where we are now right. back to some level. I don't know that we're going to ever see that. I, I hope that before I'm done, we can see that. Uh, this this project here, this program here, has made a lot of progress. I mean, we're putting billions of oysters overboard, and we're seeing great success out of that. And we're learning how to do it better every year. Is there a, a middleman, like, so to say, like say you were saying, talking about uh, the uh, Harvard, you know, oyster farmers and the um, the guys that harvest oysters uh, joining associations and stuff. Like, is the guys or a person going out say, hey, you know, we have this association because it's already that negativity, like, oh, they don't like us and we don't like them and we're not going to try and cooperate because they're not listening. Is it somebody saying, hey, we got this going on. We want you guys to be a part of it. Or, hey, we got this that just started. You want to be a part of it. Well, the uh, Oyster Roundtable had Waterman on it. It was 40 people on it. I was one of those. There's now an Oyster uh, Advisory Commission that the state has put together. There are Waterman on that and scientists on that. But traditions die hard. And there's a lot of stubbornness on pretty much on all sides. And I could say, we need to start listening to our oysters because Mother Nature doesn't care what you want, what right. I want. Uh, she knows what she... And, and she doesn't care if the oysters are gone. And if you keep <laughs> removing them, you keep doing things that, that she says, okay, you don't want oysters there, I'm going to take them away. Right. If you do stuff that she says, oh, maybe they want oysters here, I'm going to put them back. You need to listen to her. And she she speaks to us through the oysters and crabs and fish and plants and trees and everything that we, you know. And we need to be smart enough to listen to her. I don't think we are in many cases. Oh, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. So, what'd you think? I know, I know. Mind blown. And I can't believe everything that you just heard, but Hey, he's a professional. He's no, he knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for over 30, 40 years now. Um, I believe him. I'll take his word for it. The man and his team do outstanding work, to say the least. Um, yeah, so like I said, uh, if you guys want to try and get a group trip together, let me know. Um, send me an email. Hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Uh, the email is oysterninjapc at gmail.com. Uh, something a little different I want to talk to you guys about is iTunes and ratings. So here's the thing. If you like the show, rate it. If you love the show, leave a comment. If you don't like the show, send me an email. Because I do, I want to make this enjoyable for everyone. So, you know, just let me know. The Instagram, Oyster Ninja PC, um, is doing pretty good. 
is doing pretty good. So actually on the Instagram, what I'm doing now is I'm reviewing anything and everything. So if you have an oyster knife and you want me to review it, um, shoot me an email and we can, we can, uh, get it out to me and I'll shuck with it. I'll do a review. I'll do a video and you know, and you know, maybe we'll do some giveaways or something. Uh, also, uh, I just reviewed the original oyster buddy. Again, link will be in the comments. Um, I haven't posted a video yet, but I can see where this can be a good thing. Um, definitely for someone who may not have the strength in their hands that they once did, um, this would come in handy. And for sure, it would come in handy with like wild oysters. It was a little bit harder for farm-raised oysters, but what I did actually was I showed me basically shucking with one hand. Um, yeah, just I'm going to post a video. Check it out on Instagram, Oyster Ninja PC. Um, what else? What else? Yeah, good stuff coming. And again, honestly, I do want to hear from the listeners. So if I'm doing something right, if I'm doing something wrong, shoot me an email. I'm very friendly for the most part. I am very busy, but I do like to hear from the listeners. So yeah, Oyster Ninja PC at Gmail. Let me know what we can change up. Let me know what you're looking for. Also on the Instagram, you know, I'm reviewing oysters. So um yeah just hit me up oh for the ladies listening out there i got this new sponsor and her business is called uh, legging army by renee so she got some leggings on her site with uh oyster shells and seashells and all types of other things but um i thought my listeners would like them because they got oyster shells on there so if you like leggings and you like shells check it out but she also has some stuff you know the, the cheetah print and different other designs so check her out legging arm and by renee uh the instagram is l-a-b-y-r-e-n-e-e -E -E. so check her out legging army by renee and um let me know what you think thank you guys for listening thank you for downloading thank you for sticking with me so until the next time just keep in mind what's your pearl <laughs>